Coming to you from a library basement at Georgetown University, it is Kevin and Zach. And this is CCT, the groundbreaking, well-established podcast by Novus, the academic journal of the CCT program on campus. We'll be discussing issues relevant to communication, culture, and technology. If you're anything like us, you're constantly riddled with anxiety trying to decipher cryptic texts, tweets, and emails. What are the protocols for the torrential flow of digital communications? How can we be sure that what we think we're typing is what someone else is understanding? How are meaning and comprehension intrinsically connected or disconnected in the digital age? Today, the T will tell. Pinky's out, folks. Yeah, so I am just constantly afraid of everything in my life. More than anything, though, I think I'm afraid of the people around me misunderstanding me and deciding that they hate me for reasons that I view as arbitrary. Interesting. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Do you get that no, like with face-to-face interactions, or is this purely no phone totally mediated interaction? Totally phone mediated, internet mediated. But I think something that happens to me a lot: someone who is like self-diagnosed as having poor net etiquette, or netiquette. netiquette. Some would some would say netiquette, um, but to me, I don't view it as different. Um, or do I? Who am I? I don't know. It's a, um, a tough question, and kind of like you mentioned, the the medium of communication has a huge impact on the way that you broadcast yourself and the way that people perceive you. Right? That gets back to like Marshall McLuhan, like the medium is the message. Um, he was writing about this stuff like in the 60s before like the internet was even around so like major props to Mr. McLuhan for being so prescient Um, but he said societies have always been shaped more by the nature of the media by which people communicate than by the content of the communication so to put that into context for like today's uh, communication the way that you might communicate with someone in a text message could be completely different than the way that you would interact with them over Twitter or in an email or even in like a phone call or conversing in real life. Each of those different platforms has their own nuance and and etiquette of like what's acceptable and what to say and how to say it. Uh, And that makes it kind of hard to navigate and form relationships across that wide web um, because you have to keep that in mind in so many different arenas. Yeah, and I think a lot of people expect me to like pepper um, the my online language with things that make it easier to understand, but I'm like, oh no, I'm not gonna do that. Hmm. Here's my message, do with it what you want. Yeah, it, expectation is a really interesting um, phenomenon with regard to this stuff because uh, I do think it comes down to internet usage determines our expectations, right? So, um, and uh, someone from a younger generation, 
our generation and younger really uh, are people who have spent most of their lives online and in that sphere of communication. And so, again, the expectations are different than, say, like a baby boomer who is, you know, in their 60s, 70s, kind of unfamiliar with technology. Uh, my dad, he, he's not quite a baby boomer, um, but came shortly after and is also kind of in that generation of, he was a, a digital immigrant. He was not a digital native by any means. And to this day, in 2019, uh, he will still send me text messages with like uh, an introduction and an exit, like a hi Zach, comma, space, space. And then he'll like have the body of his message and then he'll sign off like hyphen dad as if like his name wasn't already attached to the message that he was sending me. And, you know, it's kind of endearing, honestly, at this point. I, I don't even correct him on it anymore because it's just like, ah, oh, dad's texting, being like an old person. No, that is very cute. Um, I'm going to start doing that. Yeah, I think it, it does add like a just a element of freshness to a, a conversation. But again, it goes back to expectations. Going across that generational gap, there gets to be a lot of miscommunication because the expectations are just so different between those people and mm -hmm. those groups. Yeah, that really makes me wonder, like, about how all of the people that I text change their texting when they communicate with me and what that means. Because, like, for instance, I feel like whenever my mom discovers a new... Just to... Let's just drag our parents. <laughs> um, whenever my mom, like, discovers a new feature on, like, iMessage, it's like, that's what I'm going to get constantly. Like, she... Oh my, there, there's like this one effect on iMessage called Echo, I think it is, where you like make your text bubble like repeat and like swirl around and like there's 8,000 different text bubbles like swarming the screen. <laughs> and my mom found out that she could do that. So suddenly like in anything that she needed to em emphasize, she was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to echo this. <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't... Like, I wonder if she does that with everyone or if she's just like, oh, Kevin is like, he's online all the time. He like, this is this is how I speak his language. It might also be kind of like a space for experimentation for her because she knows that you're not going to like judge her or like, you know, end your relationship because of her like doing these kind of avant-garde <laughs> cavalier things. Mom, you've done too many effects. I'm gone. We're done. We're done. No, she has a little more freedom to exercise that kind of like experimentation. So maybe that that goes into it. She also might be texting all of her friends and colleagues with those echoes. And maybe it's very effective and maybe not. But uh, it's so cute. Regardless. Yeah, like I said, it can be very endearing when they're when you find those like differences in expectation versus reality. Um, that's also kind of interesting, too, because uh, a lot of these miscommunications come down to textual um, elements. As we know, like written or typed words don't contain really important elements of conversation and communication, such as facial features, body language, inflection, tone. All of that is missing, which is why we so often have miscommunications and anxiety surrounding like textual communication. Um, and so I think that in part has given way to this rise of like more visual based communications with emoticons, um, emojis, GIFs, 
But I do think that those more um, media-rich communication methods uh, at least help to alleviate some of that like misunderstanding that comes with just mm-hmm. written or typed words. Breakups are cartoony thumbs down. They make people feel faced with X's for the eyes. What does that even mean? The English language cannot fully capture the depth and complexity of my thoughts, so I'm incorporating emoji into my speech to better express myself. Winky face. Um, but then, you know, there's also nuances there, like sometimes the, the emojis can be ambiguous and you're like, what? It, they just said something that seemed kind of like mundane, but then they put like a huge smile after it, so I don't know if they're being like facetious with that or, you know, there's, yeah, there's no. always levels to it. I, that's me just adding the leg emoji to the end of any message that I send. It's like, what is that? What could that possibly mean? Like, hey, do you want to go grab a salad for lunch? Leg emoji. Yeah, that's very cryptic. I love that. I would not know what to make of that. I think, yeah, I think that's, (laughs) I love emojis. That's it. That's my thought. No, it's like, I don't understand how language existed with only like, how many punctuation marks do we have? Three? Am I missing one? I f- I'm going to feel like an absolute idiot if I'm... Like, period. End a sentence? Yeah, yeah, end a sentence, like... If you want to throw a semicolon in there, it's like, can end a clause with that. But The semicolon will to... never be as good as the other ones. Uh, it will never be one of them. Yeah, I guess it's got to be just period, question mark, exclamation. Yeah, like, how did... How did society not fall apart every day with only three options? Because now, like, you can use emoji in certain combinations to, like, create different forms of meaning. Yeah, which is so cool. Like, the whole, if I want to put, like, that snorty emoji with, like, the crying emoji and, like, the praying emoji, it's like I suddenly become, like, a, a student athlete or a self-obsessed like hustler a self-described quote-unquote hustler entrepreneur like if I'm like let's get this bread snort face crying hands up a hundred emoji it's like wow that flexing entire arm, flexing arm explosion. definitely yeah they're modern hieroglyphics they really are yeah they allow us to be so much more descriptive while at the same time like maintaining ambiguity mm-hmm because they could mean something different to anyone. I love them. Another, like, big source of ambiguity, so, like, the message, obviously, like, and there are ways that we can heighten the ambiguity, like emoji, or lessen the ambiguity by, like, making it more visual-based. Like, if I send a video to someone of me talking, that's kind of, that feels weird. Also. I, I don't know why it feels weird, but that would be a weird thing that I think would be too intimate for most people. Yeah. And I mean, there has even been a rise in, you know, Skype and FaceTime and Zoom, like a lot of these uh, synchronous video conferencing platforms have have become more popular for that reason, I think. Uh, like if I'm in a class, like we just had a snow day this past week and we had to Zoom in for class and... You know, we just, like, did a cyber class, basically. But we still all got to, like, talk to each other and see each other and discuss things uh, on a synchronous basis. And then the other class that I had that day, 
the professor just said, we're not going to meet over Zoom. We're going to do a discussion board. You're going to write out like a response to the reading and then comment on someone else's and that'll kind of be our, our class for the day. That just felt less authentic. It it removed that element of like... A shared presence. A shared presence. Yeah. yeah, it was more of just like, here's my thinking. Here's your... It was very asynchronous in that way. Mm-hmm. And so... I think the younger generations with so much access to fast internet and ubiquitousness of like these social media apps and communication opportunities, they kind of expect that, that instant gratification of like talking to someone and having that shared presence. Even if it's not necessarily like face-to-face videoing, it's instant messaging where you can see the dots and like know that someone is like virtually there with you Um, versus like just you know, leaving a blog post, waiting for someone to comment, twiddling your thumbs, sending an email, waiting for someone to reply, twiddling your thumbs. Mm-hmm. I think that the the dynamics of those different types of communication play a big role into, like, how we use the semantics of them. Yeah, I agree. Other interesting things that I've noticed <laughs> recently, putting things in all caps, like like text yelling, that's kind of a weird phenomenon because... You know, it's it's someone else using the voice that you're giving your words, if that even makes sense. So when you put something in all caps, there's nothing that says you're yelling, but that's how we perceive it on the other mm. side, right? Um, I guess because we think of capitalization as, like, added emphasis, and a lot of social media platforms don't allow you to, like, bolden or italicize words, so we just put them in all caps as a way of, like drawing attention to a certain word or phrase um but it's always weird because i hear people yelling when i see that like all caps writing or similarly like you said all lowercase if there's nothing capitalized it's it makes me like wow this person's the chillest person (laughs) i guess but it's again it's kind of like what's going on are they sending me a message through like the way that they're forming their words and like structuring their their communication Um, Another fascinating aspect of this whole netiquette issue, um, and one that's becoming increasingly um, apparent, is reply timeliness. Um, And and this kind of gets back to that synchronous versus asynchronous thing that I was talking about Mm -hmm. earlier. But, uh, you know, when you get a message, and again, this is very contextual, like, how long you've known this person, what your relationship with this person is, what time of day it is, tons of contextual things that go into this. But again, like you get a message, replying to it too soon can be kind of creepy. Taking too long to reply can be seen as like lazy or annoying. Me. (laughs) Um, But it seems like as we become more attached to these devices and these ways of communicating, that window of like acceptable time to respond is like shrinking. Do you get that feeling? Oh, fully. And I think that, so I think it's, um, responding too fast, I think is both, I don't think this personally, I think people should respond whenever they want. I agree. Um, But like, I think that people are afraid to respond too soon, not only because it seems like creepy, but it's also like, I think, we're all very aware of how attached to our phones we are, and we don't want other people to think that we are so attached to our phones. 
But I think that, yeah, the period, the window of responsible response time is shrinking so fast. And I think a big byproduct of that is how we respond to shared content. Hmm. Um, like if somebody sends you a meme or a video or an article or a book recommendation, I like f 100% of the time, whenever I do this with my friends, I'm not trying to be like, haha, check out this thing that I'm sending you. I'm so, I have good taste. Um, but uh, people always respond with like, OMG, or I'm dying. I can't even, I'm wheezing. Like it's, it's always like something along those lines that like it's, it's this expression of being emotionally overwhelmed. Like, like ha ha ha, I can't responses. even. Yeah, canned responses that feel like the the main thing to get accomplished, like the main goal of the interaction is to validate my own like content suggestion or like my my shared thing. Yeah. Rather than like, hey, here's this song. What do you like what are your thoughts on it? It's like, wow, I'm dead. Which is fine. Like Skull emoji, laughing, crying emoji. Yeah. It's cool, I guess. Because I do that sometimes, too. Because sometimes I'm like, I literally have nothing to say with it to this, but, like, I don't want to not respond to this person. So I'm like, haha. It feels like you can't leave someone on red, which I think is, like, a big problem. Yeah, it kind of is. I think in the, in the, in the days of yore... Um, Communication was, because communication was slower and you didn't always have, like, an option to communicate with someone, a period of time with no communication wasn't seen as, like, a degradation of a friendship or a relationship. But now, because we are constantly given the opportunity, like, at any point, you could text someone. Like, you always have the opportunity. There's never in really anything unless you're, like, sleeping, um, having surgery performed on you, at the dentist. Even at the dentist, you could be texting. Like there's, I was going to say on an airplane, but they have Wi-Fi on planes. Yeah, there's Wi-Fi on planes. Yeah. You literally... There's no excuse. No. Honestly, there's nowhere that the, you're unconnected. So you don't have an excuse not to respond. So I feel like people kind of internalize that. And if you take a few hours to respond, it's like, instead of just that person being like, oh, well, this person is enjoying their life and like, that's cool. They're internalizing the message of, wow, this person thought everything else they were doing is more important than I am. But the paradox is like you mentioned earlier, we don't want to reply too fast because it'll seem like we're, we're addicted to our phones or whatever. But we also know that everyone is addicted to their phones. And so when you don't get a response back, my mind always goes to like, I know that person has been on their phone in the last three to four hours. Like they have to have seen the message and just made the conscious decision not to reply, which again is fine. I encourage people to respond when they have time and when they see fit. Um, but that is, I think, another driving force behind like, this this 
warp from like instant communication to constant communication mm-hmm. um, because that opportunity is always there and we just expect people to always be checking and be responding um, it kind of perpetuates and builds on itself until we're just locked in texting each other nonstop all day I guess yeah it's sometimes sucks yeah it, it feels like a I hate to say a chore because a lot of it's positive, you know, keeping up with old friends type communication that I want to do, but I also have like an outside life that I'm trying to live, mm-hmm. you know, going to class and having a job and maintaining like physical relationships with people. And if I have to choose between like a text conversation and a physical conversation, it feels like I should be choosing the, the latter. But with my friends, I have, I've come to this place where I like, oh, somebody hasn't texted me back for 27 hours? Cool. Olivia is out there living her life. I love her. She's so powerful. Yes, Olivia. Um, but if I'm like courting someone, which I, I love courting. The as, word courting. Yeah. yeah. If if I'm in a, in a courtship, um, if the guy doesn't like text me back... <laughs> And if it's, like, within an hour, I'm like, wow, okay, I'm never going to see this person ever again. No matter how well things are going, like, within the first couple of weeks of the courtship, I'm like, if I don't have constant validation, this person hates me, and I'll never see them again. Modern dating is maddening. It's so... It's such a mind game. It's, it's almost too much. Um... But that's okay. If I only have to deal with this maddening intensity when it comes to, like, relationships, I think I can handle that. Yeah. Because I think it even it even works its way into, like, new relationships. Like, if I meet someone, you know, in class or at work or something like that, and you start, like, texting them outside of that initial, like, context where you met them, there is a little bit of that, like, apprehension or anxiety about, like, oh... Should I answer them right away? Should I wait a little bit? Should I, you know, use proper punctuation? Should I try to be funny? Like, all of that stuff Mm -hmm. kind of works its way into it. And probably not to the same degree as, like, a romantic relationship because there's just... The stakes are higher. I guess the stakes are higher. There's more at stake. Um, But it, it definitely works its way into that. I find it now, like, that I'm in D.C. starting to sort of get into, like, the professional realm, trying to get, like, a, a real job. Uh, it's that way with networking a little bit. Like, I may have met this person for 30 minutes at coffee or a happy hour or something and had a nice conversation, but then that follow-up is like, how soon do I do it? What do I say? Do I Am I lighthearted or am I strictly professional? Like, you know, all of these factors kind of go into it. And it's it's a lot to juggle, especially in something that's so, like, new and novel. Yeah, and that, like... We've just been talking about one-on-one digital communication for the most part and how disgustingly confusing that can be when it's when there's only two parties involved, like a communicator and a listener or a, a code and a decoder. Sender and receiver. Sender and receiver, if you will. <laughs> um, but thanks to the beauty of social media, we also have to deal with the constant pressure of 
what we present and speak and disseminate to all of our friends that we've ever known gathered in one spot. Yeah. And just the world at large, because most of the accounts we have, you know, can be accessed yeah, by pretty public, not just our friends. Yeah, it's, I think, kind of going back to that shrinking window of reply time, uh, I think that even applies to social media now, in a sense. Um, it can feel like if I want to like or comment or share a post that I see online that I like, if the, if the post date of that is more than a day or two old, it starts to feel like a little creepy or stalkerish to be, you know, liking something that's so out of the the novel. Yeah, if that even makes sense. You'll post something and it'll get however many likes and shares that it gets over the course. I wouldn't even say it's a day anymore. I would say it's like a eight eight to twelve hour window, and then it fades into obscurity and it's never like touched yeah. again. Another thing to talk about is like the social politics of who you follow and are friends with um, and allow to follow you online. To follow all of these people, kind of what I was talking about earlier, how it feels like people that you don't text, it feel, it's like you always have an opportunity to text them. And when I like have a lot of people that I'm following, it's like, oh, I should be communicating with all of these people like these are all people who I could reach out to at any moment but I'm just not uh it makes me feel uncomfortable like it makes me feel like a voyeur into other people's lives hmm. like I'm not here to like make you have even more surveillance like I don't know and I guess that's what some people want because it's like being followed can be really good like it can be a very it's powerful validating. form of yeah, recognition. Like, if somebody that you really like or, like, even professionally, like, if, like, a designer or, like, um, somebody who's, like, prominent in your field follows you on Twitter or Instagram, it's like, oh, wow, this person, like, cares what I have to put out into the world. And that's, like, a very powerful form of recognition. But, like, also it feels like... <laughs> you have to recognize everyone and I don't I don't want to yeah what happened to absence makes the heart grow fonder right <laughs> that's me <laughs> that's me messaging everyone that I haven't followed back <laughs> everything we've talked about has it has an impact on real life relationships like how you interact with people online ha impacts how they view you there's, just There's so meaning much. to be extracted from every action or lack thereof online, which I think is what makes it so maddening and confusing and difficult to navigate. Because even if, even if you go completely hands-off and don't respond to anything, that says something, you know. Well, my tea is getting a little bit cold, uh, so I think it might be time for Kevin's cold take. What do you got for us this week, Kevin? To project your own desires of social interaction onto others under a guise of etiquette uh, makes you a false shepherd of the truth. Riveting. Very cold. <laughs> well, there you have it, listeners. Another wonderful rendition of Kevin's cold take. Thank you again for bearing with us this week. We hope you enjoyed the show as much as we did. 
If you have suggestions for future shows or would like to be a guest on future shows, please don't hesitate to reach out to either one of us. Our contact information is in the description of the episode. Uh, also, please reach out if you would like to submit any writing to Novus Journal. We are now accepting blog and journal entry submissions. You can go to novusjournal.org to submit those. Novus is accepting submissions for the journal entries until February 1st. Blog submissions are on a rolling basis, so keep those coming. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This is Zach and Kevin logging off. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.